take out your pew Bibles, we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. You'll find that on page 1501. We're going to be looking at the eighth beatitude and what constitutes the so-called ninth beatitude, but it really is an expansion of the eighth. This evening, we're going to be looking at the persecuted church. I understand you looked at the persecuted church this morning as well. Uh, Today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, so we'll keep in mind and be mindful of that portion of the body of Christ, commit them to prayer, and tonight is my prayer that we learn what God's Word has to say to us about those, His people who suffer opposition in this world. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, in this morning we remember your persecuted church. As your word mentions, it's a present reality that your corporate body will encounter and experience these things. So Lord, in the midst of such peril and suffering, help us to Understand this paradox of what it means to be blessed in the midst of persecution. Open our eyes, our ears, quiet our hearts as we hear what you have to say to us this evening concerning these things. Above all, show us Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Blessed and persecuted. Perhaps one of the greatest paradoxes that you could find in Scripture, although most of the Beatitudes, if you study and read them, would be considered that. Uh, But here, blessed and persecuted in in some ways kind of seems to, to ramp up the paradox tension just a little bit. These are two words that just don't normally bring together in one sentence any sense of of. It making sense. I mean, that's, that's the point of a paradox in the first place, is two seemingly contradictory statements that comprise a truth. Just to remind you about this word blessed here, um, blessed probably isn't the greatest translation. In fact, the Greek word that's used in the original Greek isn't even translated literally into blessed. Uh, Theologians have tried to use many words to describe this word, makarios. Um, Think about these with me for a second. Happy or congratulations. This is the oddity of this word that is used here. What's important that we don't miss, though, is that what is described here are commendations of the good life. 
of being in a good situation which encapsulates what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. There's tension here in these words. It, blessed and persecuted, it just doesn't seem to make sense. There seems to be something wrong, but maybe we need to start asking the question, or is there really? Because isn't the entire Christian life a paradox? That's certainly what these Beatitudes seem to be getting at. We die so that we may live. Power is made perfect in weakness. Unmerited favor is given to those who do not deserve it at all. The Christian life is full of paradoxes, and yet when we come to a passage such as this, we, we seem to stumble a little bit. The reality is that the persecution of the church has been around since the fall. Beginning with the death of Abel by the hand of his brother Cain, all the way through church history, God's people are met with opposition and persecution, that seemingly endless battle between the seed of the woman and the offspring of the serpent that just barrel rolls through history. John's account in the book of Revelation chapter 12 helps us understand this reality after unsuccessfully destroying the God-man, Jesus Christ. What does the dragon do? He goes off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Fast forward just a little bit through church history, and we read the accounts of someone like Blandina, who may never have heard of her before, but in church history, her account is pretty famous as a slave girl who held to the truths of her faith up until her demise at the hands of tortures in a coliseum, staying true to her faith till her dying breath. We can think of the devastating campaigns of the Roman emperors such as Decius or Valerian and Diocletian and Nero. Fast forward to today. Consider today the atrocities that we see happening in North Korea and the tearing down of church buildings in China, of the barging in of law enforcement into the middle of a church service in Algeria and hauling out parishioners like they're the scum of the earth, like a parasite that needs to be eradicated. Persecution is a reality in this sin-plagued world. And yet still, be comforted in these circumstances because of the words of Christ who said persecution will come. We can think of what Matthew 10, verse 16 says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Granted, Jesus here is speaking to his disciples, but that principle of being persecuted can be applied to us here today. Granted, knowing that the Christian life is marked out by persecution is no license to, to actively go out and seek it for ourselves. Of course not. However, it is a part of life in the kingdom. 
according to the Beatitudes. And so, I think we must question whether it is made manifest in our lives or not. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we will be persecuted. We're going to follow that as our theme tonight, followed by three points. Christians will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Christians will be persecuted on account of Christ, and Christians will rejoice in persecution. So first of all, Christians will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. If we look at verse 10 there, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No doubt, the pursuit of righteousness in the life of a Christian will encounter opposition. No doubt, it will arouse opposition. Sorry, I lost my place here. The Word of God tells us about this, this hatred by the world against those who seek and pursue righteousness. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. John 5, 18 through 19. And by the way, I will be referencing many passages this evening because the Word of God addresses the persecuted church so much. If you are alive in Christ, you are hated. The grace that has been shown to you and changed you, it's unsettling to this world, and the world can't stand it. Darkness hates the light. John 3, verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. There is great opposition to those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And in our pursuit of godliness, we should not expect goodness in return. In this world. Perhaps a way to illustrate this is the familiar account we read in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and the account of Cain and Abel. We all know the story in the course of time. Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Did you know that there is divine commentary on this passage? 1 John 3 verse 12 tells us this about the first murder. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. 
Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Abel did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and the offspring of the serpent hated it to the point of murder. And it's yet to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is what it means to be blessed. 1 Peter 3.14 says, Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Even as we experience the kingdom here and now, the anticipated glory of resurrection that we have yet to experience, it makes our suffering, our hardships, and persecution bearable in this life, albeit painful at the same time. And yet this kingdom is guaranteed to those who are also co-heirs with Christ. We are children of God. And Romans 8, 17 continues that line of thought. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There is a transition from suffering to glory, where we enter into the presence of the one who suffered the ultimate persecution for us. That passage in Romans mentions that the creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God, but not just the creation, because as we groan inwardly in the midst of persecution, as, as the church militant fighting the powers of darkness, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and for the redemption of our bodies presented as perfectly righteous before the Father. It is in this hope that we are saved, persecuted for righteousness' sake. Christians will also be persecuted on account of Christ. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, this part of the Beatitudes, um, some commentators will say, has a little bit of a more poignant effect because it's directed to the second person, plural, to you, Jesus' words straight to his disciples. And as we read this portion of the text, it's, it's obvious that To live by the Beatitudes is not just some simple moral ethical code that we must live by or or that anyone could just potentially live by or follow. It's not simply a call to live morally. We don't just pursue righteousness, but here in this text, we're called by the authority of Christ to pursue righteousness. This is really an expansion of verse 10. Jesus Christ is the path to righteousness. Christ, by his spirit, works in us as we live our lives in this deadly and persecuting world around us. After all, isn't he the one who sends his disciples in the midst of wolves? Christ reigns in our hearts, and as he does so, he moves us into dangerous territory. Therefore, it is 
Christians who are uniquely persecuted. Christ followers. Those who are clothed in the new man as opposed to the tattered garments of those clothed in the the old man of, of darkness and stained with evil. And this persecution isn't just physical, as verse 11 mentions, although verbal assaults may lead to that. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Darkness hates light. Falsehood despises truth. The world hates the truth. I think that's pretty obvious right now if we look at the world around us. And since Christ is the truth, those who he claims as his will suffer for it. When I was studying at Dort College, I had the opportunity to study abroad in Nairobi, Kenya, back in 2013 in the fall. And while I was there, I was on a film production crew meeting downtown at a mall. We found out that there was, at the same time, a terrorist attack being carried out just down the street from me at a different mall, led by the terrorist organization Al-Shabaab from Somalia. Their attack was led by political reasons, but yet, in the midst of their attack, they filtered out Muslims so they could find the Christians around them. You can only imagine the, the terror that would have been going on that day as many were not just Kenyans who were killed that day, but those from representing different countries from all around the world, including uh, two Canadians. And you can only imagine how my wife was feeling back home when news came out. But as weeks progressed and reports came in about this particular attack, we found out that what Al-Shabaab was doing was taking hostages that day and lining them up and implemented a very rigorous vetting process. And if you could not recite what in Islam is called the Shahada, there was no God but Allah and his prophet in Arabic, you were executed on the spot. They would line them up and address them one by one so that only Muslims were left. This was a clear illustration that there were at least some there that day who were persecuted and killed on account of Christ. And then just a couple years later in 2015, again, Al-Shabaab gunmen attacked Garissa University College, freed all the Muslims, targeted and slaughtered 147 Christians at this university, persecuted and killed on account of Christ, of being in Christ as part of his body, now, this illustration will probably not manifest itself in your life in the way it did in Kenya. But in what ways have you been singled out, if you will, because of your faith as a Christian, associating yourself with a place like Cottage Grove, B 
being scoffed and ridiculed because you dared to share Christ in the greater Chicagoland area. Al-Shabaab had a vetting process. But there's a more sinister vetting process that's taking place, but one that we do not see with our physical eyes. And yet our Savior was singled out from among the masses of humanity, excluded and persecuted, and who suffered outside the city on a tree so that we can be brought close even in our own persecution and suffering, whatever form that takes place. You may be pointed out, shamed, separated, but we share intimately in Christ's sufferings as the book of 1 Peter tells us. And when he suffered, he died so that we may die with him Therefore, on account of Christ, we can be confident we will rise out of persecution because he is risen indeed and has won the victory for us. And really, it's that victory in Christ, that victory of Christ that should spur us on to rejoice in our sufferings. As verse 12 tells us, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, a very uh, incredible paradoxical statement that's being raised here. In the midst of persecution, when the world reviles you and utters all kinds of evils against you, when North Korea, Al-Shabaab, ISIS, when your atheist co-worker, neighbor, relative, or friend mocks you for your faith and seems to have the upper hand Rejoice and be glad. A tense paradox indeed, but we need to reflect for a moment on what exactly is going on here in the text. R.T. France, um, probably one of the most prolific Matthew commentators, says this about this passage, the blessing is not in the suffering itself, but in its promised outcome. And that word in the text for makes this clear. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. That great reward in heaven far outweighs the bad experienced here on earth. That reward might not supremely manifest itself here on earth, but the truth of God's word tells us emphatically that it is indeed great. There's a a trajectory here. There's a reward for remaining faithful to Jesus Christ in the midst of persecution here and now, and the reward is being in his presence for all eternity, ultimately in resurrection at the consummation. And this reason to rejoice is linked to those who have come before us. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The book of Hebrews has a lot to say about these prophets who were before us. They were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging 
and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. You see, we will experience the riches of glory and triumph along with the prophets of long ago. In the sphere of persecution and suffering, we identify with them. As Acts 5 verse 41 tells us, because of this reward, count it worthy, brothers and sisters, to suffer dishonor for the sake of Christ. And what's interesting about that text is that immediately after we learn about the strength of the church. Congregation, fear not. While numbers may be lost, the church militant remains strong. Know that your efforts here in Cottage Grove, as hard as they may be in this community around you, are being looked upon by the Lord, and your efforts are not in vain. When you share Christ with your unfriendly neighbor, your efforts are not in vain. When you take a stand at work, to go against some sort of a policy which goes against the law of God and you take a hit because of it, your efforts are not in vain. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And so to conclude, we take note that the gospel will prevail in the persecuted witness of God's church until kingdom come. And then will come the consummation in the picture of the church triumphant, comprised of the saints of the old and new covenants. Revelation chapter 7 paints a beautiful picture of this for us. At the end of time, after describing a great multitude from every tribe, tongue, and nation clothed in white robes, John asks the elder who these are, and he is answered with these words, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let those words encourage you and comfort you this week as you engage the world as the church militant still here on this earth, willing to suffer and be persecuted for righteousness' sake on account of Christ in whom we rejoice. 
awaiting our eternal reward when we gaze upon the face of the Lamb who was slain, who suffered the ultimate persecution for you, his bride. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, our hearts are heavy as we hear reports around the globe of your persecuted church. And yet at the same time, our hearts are comforted by what your word tells us about the persecuted church. May we be continually reminded of the strife of those who do not have the privileges that we do here to be able to worship publicly. And as we're reminded of them, may you stir in our hearts to, to pray for them, for any persecuted member of your church, Lord. Grant them the comfort that they do indeed belong, body and soul, to you, and not the clutches of the world around them. May we, in what any capacity of suffering or persecution we feel, may we apply these truths to our own lives as well, and may you be the center. In Jesus' name, amen.